And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here as today's host of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-com, Amazon, industry-specific, you name it. Today, I'm meeting with no amateur to the space of e-com. He has been in the space a long time, a regular OG. Paul Robinson, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the appreciate the shout out there. Uh, I never thought myself as an OG, but I guess you're right. I guess to some extent, I, I did do this a long time ago. Been doing this a long time. You've been in the space. You've seen it grow. You've seen it change, seen it evolve. Um, there's a couple, there's a couple of people I would look up to and think of OGs, but Honestly, I talk to people in the space and they're just like, why have you been doing this a long time? So if I'm one, you're one. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm grateful to have you on the show. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for, for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming back. We, we, we tried to do this a couple of weeks ago for our, our Hustler listeners and I'm currently traveling. And uh, we were really jamming and our Wi-Fi just wasn't cooperating with us. So um thanks for coming back and i'm excited to just kind of tell your story with our audience and kind of dig into what you're doing what you've done and uh hopefully give the the hustler crowd some some value so absolutely you're cur- you currently in new jersey what part of the world are you in uh yeah i'm currently currently in new jersey um but i'm usually down in florida or you know all over the place so if not traveling for different conferences, you know, the Amazon travel schedule for e-commerce conferences just seems to be nonstop these days. Um, yeah. What's, what's the next one that you're going to? Uh, I was supposed to go to London next week to see Danny and uh, McMillan. Uh, I, I'm not going to make that unfortunately this year. Um, you know, he's a good DJ. I enjoy, I enjoy his parties. Uh, so it'll probably be a Christmas party in Austin, Texas. And then there's probably a couple other Christmas parties that we have to go to. Um, but yeah, I mean, we just came back from AMZ Innovate. That was last week. So yeah, I mean, there used to be like an unwritten rule not to do conferences in Q4, but it seems like everybody wants to do conferences in Q4 now. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. It seems like a little bit by the time we get into December, it seems like a little bit like the business slows down a little bit. Um, People just waiting for January. If you haven't got your deals and stuff in place by December, like in the Amazon game, you're, you're behind. You know, your sure. inventory has to be in. I think I'm going to see you at the Christmas party in Austin. I think that one's going to be awesome. And I think that's the next one I'm going to. And I don't think you're missing out. Well, I say this. Uh, I think Danny, I'm in a little WhatsApp group with some some guys, some like mentorship. And uh, I think yeah. Danny's got COVID right now. So I think he's pretty Oh, sick. no. Oh, yeah. no. I got some note. Uh, well, the men, but uh, he just made a little note in there that he couldn't do our thing this week. He's got COVID, so oh, uh, hopefully it gets sucks. better and he's able to DJ. But uh, that'd be awesome. Well, let's let's back up a little bit before we just jump into our topic. I'd like to. I, I talked about how much experience you got in the space. Like, let's just talk about you know your your first start. I think it begins with arbitrage a little bit. Uh, yeah. 
at the time. I'd love to kind of share with our audience just like, you know, how you found e-commerce. I think a lot of us uh, find it in different ways and it's just kind of interesting how, how we get here. Where, where's your story start? Yeah. So I found e-commerce, then I kind of put it away and then I found it again. Uh, so my initial foray to e-commerce started in 2003, 2004. Um, that era, so I was in law school and, uh, you know, I'm trying to make money so I don't have to be in so much debt. I don't have to, you know, I'm trying to pay tuition, pay rent, all these things. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how can I make money? Right. Cause I'm not going to work at the cafeteria for six bucks an hour. That's not going to do any good. Right. So how can I make real money? And I discovered arbitrage. They didn't call it retail arbitrage back then. In fact, some people just called me a scammer, like, which mm -hmm. I don't really understand. Cause I was like, I'm just buying low, selling high. I don't really understand the scam, but they, you know, people, you go to a store and you're buying, you know, 30, 40 copies of the same Simpsons uh, series, episode one or, or season one of the Simpsons. You know, people are you know quite suspicious of what you're doing, something wrong. Um, but that's what I used to do. I'd buy out all these uh, box set DVDs. Um, I started on a Black Friday and I would max out my credit card to the tune of like 20 or 30, whatever it was. Like it was I had a ridiculous credit card limit for a student, um, but I think that was common. And I'm just like, yeah, let's give this a shot. I mean, worst case scenario, if nothing sells, it'll be the most embarrassing return of my lifetime, but I'll give it a try, you know? And uh, yeah, I used to go, I started out at, you know, going like Circuit City. Um, I'd buy all their box sets. So, you know, this is back when people would stand in line for hours to get like a flat screen TV uh, at like a low price. I'd be standing in line just to get the DVDs and okay, to be so, the first. So hold, I have a little question here because I remember this time, I yeah. definitely was the one, like, maybe one time I stood in line at, like, the shopping place to get a $100 gift card to then go shopping with, like, I got there early, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was a person that's like, I mean, I don't see it as a scam because I, I would get too much anxiety in the crowd and the group to, like, wait. Like, just, and so yeah. I'd be like, I'm just going to pay regular price. I can't do this. But there was the people <laughs> that were, like, hardcore. Well, I didn't see it as a business. It just it was just me getting the TV or getting the DVD. It right. wasn't, like, an opportunity. Right. So, um, e-commerce, eBay, Craigslist, Facebook swap shop, these things weren't all common at that time. I think eBay, like my dad was buying stuff on eBay, which kind of introduced me to it at the time. Like I, yeah. I bought a car on there and a couple of things like, you know, but what made you, I guess at the time be into e-com or like eBay or like what made you think about selling it there? Because you had a market because I was trying to do this in volume. You know, I started out by thinking about like arbitraging a TV, like like you said, like waiting in line all night to try to get like a couple of those TVs, maybe, you know, which you really can even get a couple. You get one because they always limit it per person, yeah. you know, and if it was discounted enough, then I could flip it on Craigslist. Right. That was kind of where my head was at. And then I kind of realized like that's just so one off not efficient you can't do that you're not going to make any material amount of money doing that so that's when i realized dvds were the way were the great way to kick this off because you had one you had the benefit of media mail which was awesome uh still awesome um a lot harder to ship using media mail back in the day but worth it um and you just had like you know you would go to these black friday things in the morning and i wouldn't be st i wouldn't stay up all night i'd show up at like 5 a.m or no whatever like they opened at five i'd show up at four right i'd show up the DVDs now are probably going to be there they're not like the, nobody's uh, waiting magazine. for the dvd nobody's waiting for the dvds they're all waiting to get the tv so i'm there to grab every box set dvd i can find um 
what I loved about Circuit City is you could win two ways. You could buy all the DVDs that they had on sale. So, and, and just so you understand the sale, it's like a box set of The Simpsons might be 50 or 60 bucks. I don't remember what it used to go for. But during Black Friday, you could sometimes pick it up for like $14.99, right? Yeah. So that's a lot of room. And then you can flip it on Amazon, 40 bucks. This is back in Z Shops or half.com. And the commissions weren't that high back. I think it was like 10%. It wasn't a massive commission. And then you like two bucks, two bucks for media mail, a buck for an envelope. I mean, you were, you were cooking with gas. Um, but what you could do was Circuit City used to have this thing where they would match, price match any competitor, right? So if something was, Fourteen ninety nine. So let's say Simpsons season one was fourteen ninety nine at Circuit City, but Simpsons season two was forty nine ninety nine. Meanwhile, that same Simpsons season two was fourteen ninety nine at Best Buy. What I could also do is buy out all the DVDs at Best that they had on the Best Buy had on sale at Circuit City for full price. Then what I would do is I'd go to the customer service counter with this giant receipt and say, just like in the commercial for this, like you know, you know, I just bought this and then I saw this. I show them the ad and now I'm getting like you know, 40 bucks back on every DVD because they have to give me an extra 10% of the difference, which from 15 to 50 is a lot. So it's like an extra, what is that? 35 bucks, that's an extra 350. I mean, they just paid for my media mail. Meanwhile, Target was great because I could run rain checks at Target. They let me rain check for like a hundred of every DVD and you could cash those rain checks in all throughout the Christmas holiday. You had a month or 90 days, I think, to cash in a rain check. So like for each DVD, I could say like they had the Simpsons on sale for, 14 bucks, but they only have five copies. I could rain check an extra. They, they let me rain check, like, a, like you said, a hundred. I don't actually know what the limit was. They just kind of let me do it to the point of ridiculous. So I used to carry these rain check slips around. And anytime I was near a target, I could walk Start in. going and grab five, grab five. Grab, grab five, five, grab five. Right, exactly. So that was fun. And then obviously Best Buy had their own DVDs that were on sale. Um, Walmart had some DVDs. So it was just, that's kind of how I started. It was in DVDs and it was doing that. And that's what I read real volume. And that's when... I would go to the post office. Like I worked at a courthouse in Philadelphia and there was a post office next door. Uh, for those of you who know the uh, courthouse that's um, across from the Galleria Mall, I think it's like 8th and Market. Um, you know, it's it's uh, there's a post office right at the corner there. And I used to cause this massive jam up because I would come in with 100 plus DVDs that I had to ship today. And I bet you were it, fucking pumped. Like just like... Oh, I mean, I, I can remember the time. Like, uh, I thought I was working a deal when I was getting, like, a little bit of financial aid money. So I, I put myself through school, you know, working a couple of jobs, doing the whole, like, all, on my own. And I would get a little bit of financial aid. Uh, and I thought I was so clever, like, just putting this in context, I thought I was so clever to be using e-commerce to get half-priced books or, like, discounted books. And then, you know, so you're getting the full financial aid for the books you know, if they're helping you out and I might be saving a couple hundred dollars a book on a textbook by getting it used online. Just no one was buying online. No. You know, being that I just felt clever. Like I was just like, I don't have to go to the bookstore. I'm going, I'm going to buy this thing online and get it, you know? Yeah, no, online was great. I mean, you could buy online. You could like said, you know, even before Amazon, I was doing Z shops, not Z shops. That was Amazon. Uh, Half.com was great. You could buy books on half.com, but then they like, you know, half.com was owned by eBay. It was almost like eBay's version of Amazon. Yep. Where you had like a single ASIN sort of style catalog. I, you know, it's obviously not ASIN. ISBN but, or something. Yeah, but, you like, know. exactly. Every, there was one entry per, per ISBN and per SKU. So you didn't have like, so it wasn't like eBay where you had a thousand different listings for the same product. It was easier to work with. And I liked half.com. It was one of my favorite platforms back in the day. And this is Prices, a little, you know. 
since you're in legal, I think this is a fun, there's a little segment segue, but it made me think of something. So sure. The FTC is, uh, you know, taking is has a court case against Amazon for yes, they monopolizing do. monopolizing prices and stuff like that, right? Um, I got a little excerpt on Bloomberg, so I've, I put my two cents in there. Okay, like I've got, but I, I'm far from knowing everything about it. Uh, but my thoughts on it being, you know, Circuit City, Best Buy, uh, Target, all these places you just mentioned used to have these things in traditional retail, where if a price was uh, cheaper anywhere else than us, we'd match it. Right. And they mm-hmm. talk about Amazon. Like if, if, uh, a traditional marketplace, like a Walmart or a target or a home Depot has a lower price for an item that Amazon also has, you'll lose the buy box. So mm-hmm. what that means to people listening is like that little yellow thing on the right that says add to cart that would go away. It's called the buy box. And so your ads won't show. There's a couple other like negatives to it. Your ranking decreases. But what they're doing is saying, you know, on your own website, you can have your own price. So what they're saying is like, if you find any other common marketplace, like a walmart.com or wherever that's selling the product cheaper than us, we're going to show you by doing this, that, that we're not the cheapest price on Amazon. What they're essentially saying is we'll match that price. You have to match your price to sell on Amazon. So it's, it's like, um, it's had an evolution of sorts where you don't have to take the receipt in and say, Hey, match this price. You can also know that on Amazon, if this is a commonly bought item, they're going to be equal or cheaper than any other marketplace. And I think it's just like things have changed and people put it in this different perspective. But I'm like, these things have existed since I was a kid. They've just changed in the way that that we experience them. Does that yeah. make sense a little bit? Yeah. So like I always think the best way to argue when you're making arguments about Amazon is to make analogies. So I always say, you know, what is PPC, pay-per-click advertising? I mean, it's it's in a way it's, you know, people may not know this, but when you put your products in Walmart or Best Buy and you want them on the front, you know, the end cap, you got to pay for that. There's an extra fee for that, right? You want it to be noticed by people by putting on the end cap, right? You want it to stand out. There's a fee, there's a cost to that. So, you know, PPC to me is just sort of the modern day version of you know, it all equates to margin erosion at the end of the day. Move, move yourself you know? to the front of the store, right? Like, right, uh, and, exactly. And what, every brand we know of, from Kirkland's at Costco to Always Save, to every one of these major chains has their own brands that they're pushing as well. Um, right, and that's one of Amazon's, brands. right, that's one of interest, Amazon's interesting defenses in this whole antitrust thing, especially when they were getting accused of competing against sellers, which didn't really make it so much in this uh, lawsuit. But this idea that they were, using seller data to compete against them. And one of Amazon's points was, you know, which was interesting to me that they said it this way, was like, hey, we're a store. We're like no, we're like every other store on the planet. So if you look at Kirkland, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but if you say, they were basically saying like, if you look at stores like Costco and they have Kirkland, right? Let's say you're buying Snuggle. Snuggle's that fabric softener and that very famous blue bottle, right? That light blue bottle, you know that Snuggle. Guess who else has a light blue bottle of fabric softener? Kirkland. Kirkland. Right there, right? They're like, so what Amazon's saying is like, look, we're not competing against sellers. What we're doing is we're leveraging the same data any store would have to make store branded products. Now, is that true or not? I don't know. Uh, I think the scope and depth of that concern, while I know people who have been affected by Amazon competing against them at the same time, if you look at the dollars and the data, it's not that big a deal. Like in, in terms of it's a big deal to the person who was hurt by it. 
but it's not a big deal in terms of Amazon is not dominating in private label. They're not. You yeah. Remove batteries from the equation and it's a rounding error for their business. So, I mean, Amazon has hit me up about building them private label brands. I don't know. They did that to a lot of people, but they would say, yeah, yeah. hey, we'll, we'll partner with you. Help us build this brand. You know, what's wrong with that? I guess I'm like, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with selling your own products in your own store? If you don't want to sell there, you don't have to sell there. Uh, this has yeah. been happening since the beginning of time. Yeah. Matching prices, uh, yeah. showing your products first. I just so, don't get it. So the issue with the price match, and, and I suspect Amazon will end up giving this issue up. My, I think they're making it sound, you know, this is a copy off of a lawsuit that was filed. Uh, there was a consumer class action lawsuit filed God, way back, I think, in 2020 on this issue or 2021 uh, or maybe 2022. I, I'm trying to remember. But it was filed by a major class action law firm company, and they made the same allegation that Amazon's price pricing policies are essentially price fixing. And why is that? Because what they're saying is, is that Amazon is so loaded up with fees and costs that, you know, a person selling on eBay or, or on Walmart or on their website who doesn't have to incur those fees could sell at a lower price point. Um, but because of Amazon's policy, they can't. So Amazon's policy is effectively requiring them to raise up their prices to match uh, their Amazon price, because because the theory is nobody would ever lower their Amazon price to match their website price, because that's not going to work out, given the margins on Amazon are so much less. So that's the argument for why this is price fixing. I, I don't know if it is. It's you know sort of more. It's kind of like more known as like most favored nation, uh, where you know you're not going to give anyone else a better price than Amazon. Um, you know you have to understand Amazon's point of view is they're looking at it from the perspective of the Prime member. Right. Because in Amazon's opinion, like Amazon's a lot more like Costco than we realize. They make a ton of money off of those membership fees. Right. And whenever you want to understand Amazon's motivation, a lot of times you can trace if you trace through like the experience of the prime member and how something would affect the prime member. You can usually back into what Amazon's thinking because that's so important to them. And if a prime member goes on a website, if they go on Google and they search this product and they see it cheaper on a website. They're going to be ticked off. Like, why am I paying all this money for Prime if I'm not getting the best price? And that's what Amazon's concerned. So that's why the policy exists in the first place. Um, you know, again, this is more about advertised prices. They're not talking about prices like if there's a lower price at a Walmart clearance aisle, that's not going to make it on the internet. So they're, nobody's, they're not caring about that. They care about online advertised pricing. That's good explanation. But, Thank you. And I, I just like, I guess I just wanted to bring a little light to it, you know, of like these types of things have existed just in a different way for a long time well right and it's i think just, that's it just so changed. important i think what you're doing is so important because that's so legally that's what we do right i mean legally whenever you you know attack a technology what you try to do is make analogies to how this is like something that we've had before right it's no different and then obviously on the flip side if you're trying to you know a good lawyer's job is really just to make distinctions at the end of the day so you're if you're the lawyer on the other side you're trying to make those distinctions that this is not like that thing that existed. But like, you know, PPC, the end cap, that's an example, um, you know, of ways you can kind of understand the business model and then be in a better position from a legal perspective to argue it, uh, depending on which, you know, where you want to go, based on just kind of making those analogies and understanding the business from that perspective. It helps. I, I think it's a good exercise what you're doing. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for uh, breaking that down for us. Um, I want to keep your story going, uh, but before I do, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by FullScale.io. 
hiring software developers is difficult full scale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has a platform to help you manage that team visit fullscale.io to learn more okay so uh you know you're paying your way through college or you're, you're into retail arbitrage even though they didn't call it that you know you, you scout your business mm -hmm. scammer or not scammer who cares made a ton of money <laughs> uh you know what happened after that so after that i went to law school you know i never saw this you know you're talking i graduated law school 2005 so you know this was never going to be something like I'm, I'm trying to make money i'm trying to build my life like i'm a lawyer right i'm training to be a lawyer i'm in law school i'm taking the bar you know this amazon thing was fun but it wasn't something that i ever thought i would really come back to what I did do, though, was I would still sell for what I call for sport, which meant that um, as I got older, I started working for companies as in-house lawyer and in-house lawyers. Very. It's very cush. You know, you can you can basically, um, you know, you work a nine to five. It's not that bad. Right. You get paid well as an in-house lawyer, typically, but way different than being a lawyer in private practice where you feel like you're working constantly. Um, and that gave me a lot of free time, especially before I had kids. Like my wife actually worked for Amazon. She worked on the seller performance team, the team that police okay. marketplace. So I used to hang out with those people. But, you know, I was just kind of like what I would do, like on Friday or Saturday, my wife had to work on a Saturday. I'd go down to Walmart or Fry's and just look for stuff to source and sell. And, you know, I found video games. I found other clearance items and I would just sell for fun and uh, but never really took it too seriously. You know what? I would later learn was the pivotal game changer was FBA. And I was just too early for that. I'm too early for a lot of things in my life. I was early. I was a point mile hacker before it was in the nineties. Just so you understand, like I'm early. I didn't even, the word blog didn't exist until I think 2004, maybe 2003. I was a mile hacker in the nineties. I didn't know you could make money teaching people how to mile. Like there was no way to do it. I just felt like I was too early to the party. So I think like e-commerce is kind of the same thing. I was just way too early to even see it for what it was. And I, and you know, so other than just kind of dabbling in arbitrage throughout the years to come, you know, and then you didn't know what you had. I didn't know what I had. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know there was a market. <laughs> Private label selling was still kind of new. Um, yeah. What happened was in 2017, I wrote a blog post. I had just, I had just finished working for general electric. I had, I'd worked for GE for, Four years, uh, we took out took the company apart. You know, most of my time at GE was selling stuff, so we sold off the the TV studio. Many people don't remember that GE owned uh, Universal Studios and NBC. In fact, the TV Whoa. show, yeah, the TV show Thirty Rock is literally based on my life. You know, not my life personally, but like the life of G. You know, being a GEer and sort of having this like really stuffy corporate culture, having oversight over SNL. It's kind of funny. Um, so. That's, that's what that was about. And so that was it. So anyway, I, we had to do a bunch of these different sales. And one of the last things I did at GE is we were on a team. We had to help them move their headquarters to Boston, kind of the way Amazon went around showing, trying to get their new headquarters and getting all the states to bid on them. They actually stole that playbook, borrowed that playbook, I should say, from us at GE. Okay. So we had just done the same thing, moving the headquarters from Connecticut to Boston. And that was kind of the point where I just wanted to duck out. I didn't want to be a part of GE anymore. So I bailed and... It was in that process of bailing that I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. I was kind of enjoying just, you know, I'd been working for well over, what, 12 years nonstop. I was like, time to take a little break, see what I want to do. And um, worked on a bunch of different projects. And then it was around August 2017. 
I was asked to write a blog post about sales tax and how basically all these states were accusing Amazon sellers of tax evasion and they were all wrong yeah. and full of shit, full of it, excuse me. Um, and so I came out strong on that point and just that's how I was introduced to the Amazon community. And from there, I met a lot of Amazon sellers. People were calling me up. They wanted consultations. I'm like, I'm not built for that. I'm, I'm just literally a guest blogger. I wasn't built for having a law practice at that time. But, you know, getting to know these people, I realized, yeah, there's definitely a need for a law practice, not just in taxes. In fact, taxes is the last thing I want to do. Um, you know, the sales tax stuff is really rooted in constitutional law. And that's why I try to explain to people, it's not really tax law. It's really constitutional law um, at, at its core. Um, but, I, you know, you meet people, they didn't know about LLCs. They don't understand their trademarks. They don't understand their copyrights. They don't understand just basic patents, when to get them, how to use them how to avoid getting caught up in it, you know, like just basic business stuff. And and they didn't understand it, not only from just like an e-commerce perspective, but I said sort of like from a global commerce perspective. So what I, the way I describe it is I realized that I have this unique set of skills, right? I have experience as a seller. I, you know, wife was a seller performance. I certainly was very familiar with Amazon selling at the time, at least from an outsider perspective. Um, and I knew inter international commerce, right? Like I knew how to practice law for big international conglomerate companies. So I knew a lot about a lot in the international uh, legal community. So here's what I've realized. There is a whole crop of like million plus, however many people out there, right? Uh, selling on Amazon. And these are what I call global small businesses. This was sort of the epiphany I had, right? And so, and you think back to what is a global small business? Well, global small business certainly did not exist prior to e-commerce. It would have been an oxymoron to say something like yep. global small. How do you have a global small business? It's it's hard, right? You know, I'm sure there's one exception out there. I'm sorry if that's, if I didn't catch, but for the most part, that sounds silly. So what I designed, what I decided to do was go out and create the first law practice that was sort of built and scaled for glo the global small business sellers, basically e-commerce sellers who are importing products from overseas who are selling in 50 states, selling in other countries. I mean, this is not the kind of law practice where you hire your your local lawyer to open up a t-shirt tea shop on Main Street. This is very different. And that's what I set out to create. And that was sort of the inspiration was writing that blog post and just getting to meet these people for the first time. I love I love that, Paul. Um, you know, I, I can relate to to the community of people. Um, you know, I think I found Amazon and, and started working at a startup and then as an e-commerce manager. And then I, I freelanced and went on my own uh, now, um, 2013. So, uh, maybe a couple years before you, but I definitely found e-commerce later than you, you know, but I was all in, I was all in on Amazon, um, you know, 2000, probably 14, um, having left my job and went all in and it was i saw these people that you know we saw not solve for those questions but i would refer them to a lawyer or point them to the right importer or um help them understand what a trademark is on amazon and brand registry and you know what that is um and a lot of these things because i learned the hard way uh yeah but when you're working you know when we worked with over 300 brands and a lot of those are international brands coming to the u.s or a u.s brand going to canada or, you know, at one point it was, we were in the UK, which was five or six countries. Now they're all, you know, it's kind of separate since Brexit, um, Australia, Japan. Um, and really what it was like, I got into e-commerce because I'm, I am nobody from nowhere pretty much. I mean, I, I, my, my family's great, but we're, I was a missionary kid. Um, 
dairy farmers before they got, you know, before they became missionaries. I was the first to get a college degree, um, meaning not a lot of network, not a lot of uh, resources, not a lot of like examples in front of me. I was never part of the boys club, you know, so to speak. And uh, but e-commerce was this opportunity. Right, e-commerce in the same way I saw it as an opportunity for me as an opportunity for for a lot of everybody else. There was no such thing as the global, international small business. Um, even the chance of like creating a business out of nothing was something that was not easily done. You know, um, giving a small business the opportunity to sell across the U.S. across all fifty states without distribution. Wild. Crazy, wild. It's... Um, it blew my mind. And, and what all I saw was a blue ocean. I'm like, look, this, I've been trying to get in, like always been the odd man out too early or, uh, thinking too differently or just like, and this was one where, uh, because no one went to school for this because, uh, it was all like self-taught or like, you know, um, ambition or however hard you want to work at it. The best thing, whether guy, male or female, there was no degree. It was, you know, whoever's going to work at it the hardest, like you could have tattoos, you could have gauges, you could have, peer, you know, you could do, have a beard. Uh, you didn't have to wear a tie. It was like, if you were you know, great at e-commerce, you could win, you know? Yeah. You that. know, you, you raise a point that I, I used to talk about a lot. Um, you know, especially when we were doing like our Supreme Court brief and the Wayfair case and talking about just like, who are these, who, 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 who are we? Who's the community of Amazon sellers? And, um, you know, it was just profound how Amazon in particular, because of FBA, and to me, that was the pivotal thing missing from my experience is that FBA, and I talk to my clients, and they say this all the time, the game changer in our in our business was FBA. FBA is what took us from a hundred thousand to a million to two million. It was that ability to scale, at, to, to add scale at almost no cost. That's fulfillment by Amazon. So you raise a really good point about just sort of like you said, like you're just, you know, it, it liberated commerce for the every person, right? I have so many clients from so many backgrounds. And I'm so proud of the accomplishments of all of these, you know, especially my disabled clients, like who are really, they can't work, like they can't get a job. They can't get a nine to five. They have really debilitating diseases or, or other, other disabilities affecting them that, that prevents them from working in normal society. And they're making a living, not just a living, they're making a great living selling in e-commerce. And, you know, those are the things we're trying to highlight when we, you know, we challenge tax, we challenge these laws. It's like, what are you doing, government? Why are you trying to shut this down? Like this is, you know, is this too much liberation for the people to have this, you know, e-com platform that's free for everyone to use and, and make yeah. money on? Why are you trying to shut this down? Um, why are you trying to, this is the most progressive, like you want my theory about why there was, there's a hard time hiring people. I think it's because so many people who would be working in like store jobs, right? A lot of our clients, they don't have educational backgrounds. They didn't go to college. Like those folks found something they found an alternative to being just you know a, an hourly worker they found e-commerce they found whether it's arbitrage i have clients that make a ton of money doing arbitrage i mean it, it, it works at every level you can you can just do it for side hustle cash you can do it for big cash and it's, it's amazing arbitrage um you can go into brand ownership hard to do these days um but if you were doing brands i mean anytime 2016 2017 2018 2019 i mean you probably did well. It's harder, to, obviously, these days. It's getting harder and harder to distinguish yourself because there's so many brands. But, I mean, it's just amazing what's been accomplished over the last 
decade because of e-commerce. And it's amazing in my legal career how much we have to fight the government from like trying to destroy it. It's really stupid. Um, they well, don't really understand. I'm glad, I'm glad you're fighting. I'm glad you're trying. Fighting because... We're trying. It's people hard. like me and my, and my team and my family have really benefited from it. You know, people see it from a different perspective. They're like, Amazon's the giant. And I think it's because they lack perspective of understanding that Amazon sells there. Yeah, but it's third party sellers that are, are also winning on Amazon. Um, and some of those third parties sell through 1P2, right? Uh, right. If people know what that is. But, uh, you know, I'm like, look, I'm taking a local Kansas City brand. Like when I started, I'm like, I'm taking this local Kansas City brand that's just sold locally. And we just had a sell in California. We just had a sell in Philadelphia. We just had a sell in New York. We just had a sell in Florida. We just had a sell. Um, and, and so opening, like blowing, blowing, uh, you know, their, their mind. Like I, one of my first clients was a lady on eBay that was trying to get on Amazon. She was actually um, based in New York, uptown girl headwear. And uh, I mean, I was charging like pennies an hour to do this on the side. It was a side hustle for me, like trying to help people. And, uh, we were working together and she's just like, I feel like I might have to close my shop. She sold like, uh, head headwear for like women going through cancer or it could be religious. Um, but think of them like, um, you know, like bandanas, right. Mm -hmm. if, if you're like losing your hair in, in chemo or something like that. Sure. And, uh, beautiful stuff. She was middle Eastern, but a New Yorker. And, uh, she was about to close her shop where well, we worked together, um, two years later, she had hired four girls and moved her shop to where she could view the Statue of Liberty, where she was like making her stuff. And uh, that was my first time that I was like, I, I did that. Like I, I helped that lady do that. And um, it just felt like I was helping, helping another American on the other side of our country uh, take a small business and keep it alive and grow it. And I got addicted to that. I really did. I just, um, I was like, this feels good. It feels like I'm doing good work. I'm doing it for me, but I'm also like able to help people at the same time, give people opportunity. And, uh, you know, retail used to be, you had to, things could happen, environmental factors, a part of the city could go downhill, uh, maybe crime happened next door, maybe a flood happens in your city and, and you have a business, a retail business and, or a pandemic, right? Let's talk about pandemic. And, sure. uh, all of a sudden people aren't coming into the store. And they're like, well, they have to literally count on people walking by and coming in or having great mail marketing or something like that. And here we are able to kind of take this this business that they've, they've grown and help them get it internationally or even just across the U.S. Like that was, um, you know, revolutionary, I think. And um, you're right it's, in regards to FBA help and scale. It is super revolutionary. And like to your other point about just, you know, people with tattoos and people like it's it's so funny to me because I used to work for Walmart, right? I worked for Walmart Corp. I lived in Arkansas, three hours south of Kansas okay. City, actually. I've been there. Ben, uh, right. Bentonville. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I lived in Bentonville for a couple of years, worked for Walmart. And on the way Sorry. to lunch, we'd always pass the, <laughs> we'd always pass the, the pitch rooms, right? Which are like little mini sharks. So every day at Walmart, there's like, I don't know, hundreds of like little sh mini shark tank episodes that go on in their pitch rooms. You know, Sam's Club has a bunch too. And these are people trying to pitch new products. Um, to the different buyers. And, you know, I was always thinking like, it's so fascinating to me how archaic this whole process seems when you have Amazon, right? Because I would, going back, you know, it's been what, f quite a few years since I've worked there. Going back now, it's like, 
doesn't matter what you, you know those guys you know you could have a buyer who's just you know came off a bender because he was at the uh arkansas razorbacks game the night before he's feeling sick he's feeling tired he's just shutting you, know, you down doesn't like what you're wearing right maybe he's a you know it could be a number of reasons why you're not getting your product in walmart and it could all be arbitrary and what i love about amazon is it's so part of the liberation is that there's no judgment, right? It doesn't matter really who you are. It matters what you can accomplish and you're solely judged on what you bring to the market, not on you and your individual. And there's that's what I love. Yeah, there's nobody saying yes or no. There's no gatekeepers, no boys club, like I was saying, like yeah. best man or woman uh, with your, your techniques, your strategies. It's a proactive channel. Um, you know, so really the best... understand how powerful that is to have something like that. And Again, what we were trying to do was we're trying to sort of protect it. We're trying to say, hey, Congress would, you know, hasn't really regulated this yet. This is a whole new thing. Uh, we kind of think it maybe these state governments are 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 exceeding their, you know, basically what is it? They're they're uh, um, what's the word? They're over their skis, you know, like a little bit in in the way they're trying to regulate these people. I mean, take price gouging. Right. Like, I don't like price. Gouging. I used to live in Florida. Right. I lived in South Florida. I've been through hurricanes. I've been through hurricanes where I've had no power for weeks, no water for weeks. Uh, I've been in hurricanes where you walk out. It's just like completely devastated. Um, the last thing I want to do in that situation is go to the first 7-Eleven I can find and pay $100 for a bottle of water. So I'm not a fan of price. Gouging. But what we were concerned about was the way the states were blaming the sellers for price gouging, where yeah. this is what bothered us because we're like, Hold on a second. First of all, this is a wholly unregulated, there's a new market. And there's a lot of problems with the way you're regulating this. Because if you, Kentucky, are saying that I can't sell this pen for, you know, more than 10% of its market value prior to an event, it's interesting. But the problem is, is on Amazon, there might be 49 other states that don't have that restriction. And I can't limit my price to just, I can't put in a Kentucky specific price. There is one price. So unless every state has the same price gouging law, or it's really hard to comply. You know, our argument is like, look, you can't comply with this stuff on Amazon. What you can do is regulate Amazon uh, and make Amazon compliant and Amazon responsible. I mean, after all, when toilet paper was being advertised for a thousand dollars, like Amazon could have stopped that. They should have stopped that. They should never let that go live. They created panic. They should have been on top of that. But they they choose, and this is what they do wrong. They tend to play this whole "we're just a marketplace, we're not responsible" card. But that's working less and less. But my point is, is like that's you know this is where it's like okay, I think the governments are overstepping because they're trying to regulate sellers. Because why? Because in Kentucky, they're easy to bully. Exactly, they were great. They would use you guys as news fodder, so they could put all these press releases that they went after some Amazon seller, busted them for price gouging. And the reality was it was all within Amazon's control. And who made the most money is the antitrust report uh, investigation uncovered. Amazon made the most money during the pandemic from the price gouging prices. I mean, that's that's the funniest part about it. And all we were saying was like states regulate Amazon, not price gouging is bad. Just the regulation should should be with the most sophisticated and important party here, which is Amazon. Um, they're in the, the only position to give us this. We don't even have the power to set state prices. And if you do this to us, you're going to affect our ability to supply the market, which is actually going to have the wor a worse effect on, on the national economy. And these are all kind of arguments you can make uh, based on constitutional law that goes all the way back to our founding fathers and stuff like that we would get involved in because we just, you know, the other side of the story too was who just put like a $5 billion where, you know, uh, fulfillment center in Kentucky, 
you know, with, 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 you know, airports and everything, Amazon or, or 6 billion in Ohio. So it wasn't by accident that these states were choosing to go after small sellers. Like you said, they were small and they certainly weren't investing billions of dollars into the state economy. So these states were definitely, again, it was a double standard, but they were violating on the one investing in our state, right? Like, you know, yeah, let's not um, pick on, right. Let's not pick on our hometown hero. Right. Cause that's the thing. They were all about the economic incentive. So they were all, Amazon basically became an in-state player in almost every state with their investments. And they made some dodgy deals, I'll be honest with you. Um, and they sold out the sellers for quite a few times. So, you know, Amazon's not in, I'm not saying Amazon isn't great and hasn't done a lot of great things. What I am saying is that they're not perfect. And they, you know, I, I'm all for regulating Amazon. I don't think anything that the FTC is proposing or in this lawsuit is of, of relevance or value. But, um, and I suspect Amazon will likely agree to this price, uh, to allowing price fluctuations. They've already done that in Europe. My guess is they're making this sort of their big deal issue because it's going to make it seem like that. You know, this is a strategy in corporate law. Like you, it's, you take it's not a loss for them because they've already taken that loss somewhere else. But they'll yeah, drag it along so that they're not focused on something else. They'll drag it along and make it seem like it's a big hurt. So that way, you know, the FTC gets their media bites that they they made Amazon do something they didn't really want to do, and it looks like a victory to all part people involved. You know, it looks like a victory, but Blame. it's not. It's, it's not even. Yeah. And that's those aren't the issues that we think are most important. Um, so I don't really have a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, faith in that, that, that entire, uh, lawsuit. I don't think it's going to go very far, but that's, uh, that's another story. That's interesting. I've started to see some cases where they're bringing in experts as like, you know, um, lawsuits around, you know, one brand attacking another brand on Amazon with falsifying reviews and uh, oh yeah, we yeah. do that. We've been doing some of that stuff too. We've been filing, we've been suing in China. We're not suing in China. We've been suing sellers in China. That's something we started doing. So sellers who are stealing your IP, if they're stealing your copyrights, if they're stealing your patents, if they're using your branding, uh, we've done that. And then yes, we will go after, if we can prove that there's been review manipulation, we'll absolutely go after those sellers too. Um, people don't, it. you know, it's not cheap. That's the problem. It's, it's, you know, this is court, right? So whatever court is involved, it's not cheap. So it's not something we do a ton of, but you know, for our clients out there who are bigger and where, you know, for moving your competitor, who's a cheater is going to have a significant impact on your business. Then you should come talk to a lawyer, right? You should talk to us about how you can do that because there are ways, right? I mean, the FTC has been enforcing their version of some of this review manipulation stuff. So, I mean, the momentum is on our side for, for, for exercising, right. but you have to have, you have to have bigger dollars. Like it's not going to, you know, if, if your competitors, you know, if you're losing $10,000 a month in sales, you're probably not a candidate for, you know, but that doesn't mean we can't help you. It doesn't mean there might be other ways. Depends, again, part of it depends on how bad the evidence is. So if the evidence is like, like if you sell a, you know, a, a product for, um, let's say you sell a, a pen and your competitor sells the exact same looking pen, but it's all the reviews talk about how it's really good at cleaning your nose. Obviously, there's a problem, right? That's a review mismatch, and that's a hijacked listing, most likely. So you have a stronger case to take stuff down. But you know, for the most part, we always try to keep our clients out of court. That's that's our main goal. But sometimes it's fun to go to court. I went to arbitration one time for a brand on my own dime because I just really believed that um, we were right, and I'm one for one. So yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, but it was it was it cost a little bit, and it was a risk because if we lost, you know, I was. I was running the bill for the brand because I just believed in it and they were ready to just like, you know, cut, cut their losses on Amazon. And I was like, no, that we, I think we can win this. Um, there, well, let's spend, 
Yeah. I was going to say, let's spend the last five minutes or so of the show that we've got. And I would love to just like hear, you know, we, we talked a little bit about like why, why you built the, um, the firm and like, you know, some of the ways you're working with people, but like in a five minute pitch, talk to me, like, you know, if you were saying, talking to a, a room of sellers and, and telling them kind of like what you do and how you help them and, and who is a good candidate for you guys, like, how would you summarize that? Yeah, so we're sort of a launch, grow, exit, and repeat solution for Amazon and e-commerce companies. So no matter what phase you are on, right? Like we've, I've done exits, you know, I've helped my clients exit $10 million exits who were $200,000 sellers when I first met them in 2017. So I've seen, you know, I like the fact that we are focused on being accessible to sellers at a launch, grow, exit scale because it helps sellers get the help they need. Um, oftentimes our biggest competitor as a law firm is, I say it's like legal zoom. It's like the, it's like the notion that you need a lawyer is harder, is a harder sell. We don't actually have that much competition. Not a ton of lawyers do what we do in this space or is focused. It's just a matter of <laughs> convincing people they need a lawyer. So that's, that's sort of like the first thing, but I mean, it's, it's, you know, if you're in this space and you're dealing with issues, you're struggling with Amazon or you're just struggling with competitors. I mean, you should be working with us. I think. There's a lot we can do to help. People are always surprised by our solutions. I think what I bring to the table as a lawyer that I think people really appreciate is that I tend to be a very good uh, sort of like fixer, closer, you know, kind of like situation closer is what they say on suits. I like that. I borrowed that from Harvey. Like that's kind of what I tend to find my practices. Like every every so often our focus will shift on a different case or a different, you know, maybe, maybe it's an account health uh, suspension or maybe it's you know, a more complicated issue between a seller and their competitors. But like, we always try to, you know, I like working those, those puzzles and those complicated cases and problem trying to get solving at the end of the day, problem yeah. solving and, and delivering good outcomes for our clients is always our goal. I, I mean, obviously we can't guarantee it, but it's, you know, if I didn't, if I wasn't consistently delivering good outcomes, I don't think I'd be doing this job for very long. Like, you know, we deliver, you know, we fight really hard and I think we have solutions. So, you know, before you do something on your own, come talk to us. That's what I would tell tell anyone. You know, give us a call and and uh, see if we can be of help. Because and then you know, just having conversations with a lawyer from now on. We have a hundred dollar a month program called Seller Basics. It's so cheap, and I'm not trying to pitch it because I don't really care. Like I don't get out of bed for pump somebody signing up for hundred bucks a month. But what it offers is two things: account health, like insurance. Like we almost it's not insurance, but we almost do it like health insurance. Like you become a member, and then if your account gets suspended, if your ASIN goes down. Our team will help you. We'll work that Amazon process the best they can to help you get that reinstated. But the other benefit you get, and this is what I love, and this is how I've always run my practice, is once you become a client of my firm, or if you become a member of Seller Basics in this case, you have access to lawyers. You have access to me and a whole network of other lawyers who've agreed to sort of offer their time uh, when needed um, for a 15-minute consultation. And so that consultation could be, how can you better protect your IP so that you're ready for a sale? right? Because that's a big issue. When you sell, people sell their businesses, they realize their IP is a bloody mess. And then they yeah. got to go clean it up and catalog it. We could be doing that now. Um, or it could be, um, you know, how many trademarks should I have? Everybody gets brand registry. They have one trademark. They don't realize that as you create variations in other uh, products, you may have more than one brand. Like it's, you know, Amazon only necessarily requires one brand, but doesn't mean you don't have multiple brands. And sometimes again, that right. could be an issue. Or just anything that's on your mind, we have that. You get a scary letter from the government. Give us a call. Like we've created this for a hundred dollars a month. It's dirt cheap, and that reason for that is so that people will feel inclined to call. We want people to call because, from my perspective, and this is the last thing I'll say is like most of my clients who get into really bad situations, they got in those situations because they didn't have a lawyer before, so they did some really dumb stuff, and all that dumb stuff kind of you know turned into this really bad situation. 
And by the time they're talking to me, it's kind of too late to do the earlier stuff that might have prevented it. So when yeah. I always say it's like it's like the Geico commercial, 15 minutes can save you. Uh, 15 minutes with a lawyer can save you your business. Yeah, it can save your, your your outcome of your business. So, you know, we, we invite people to, yeah, start, start the, you know, if you take your business seriously, I think you need to have a legal relationship. It's, you know, people spend $10,000, $20,000 to have a CFO. I'm not sure you need yep. a CFO for, for, you know, if you're a small brand doing a million bucks a year on Amazon, I don't think you need a full-on CFO, even a part-time, you know, I'm not sure that would bring a ton of value to it, but you could probably use a lawyer because you want to protect those assets that you're building up, so. 100%. My final thoughts. That's my Jerry Springer final thoughts. Stamp of approval on that statement as well. Um, you know, something I couldn't afford when I was uh, younger doing this, but as I've, you know, scaled my business and, and got more cash flow and different things and being able to afford that, it was um, absolutely one of the best things I've done in my business is even as, as my agency and as someone building brands, right? Just understanding um, a lot of what I did it. I didn't grow up in that environment. So I've needed to have lots of conversations to just understand, um, you know, if I'm preparing to exit, if I'm looking to buy a business or sell a business, if I, um, you know, my contracts with clients, uh, my contracts with partners, um, you know, there's just so much to learn and it's not usually, uh, you know, one conversation or a couple of long conversations. It's, it's years of just, you know, little bits here and there to get yourself to where you need to be. So, um, thanks for sharing your value, Paul, like, you know, sharing, sharing, uh, what you guys do. I think it's super helpful. I think that's an amazing offer and something that, uh, we definitely need to talk more offline so I can just understand, you know, how to, um, introduce that to some of our brands and let them yeah. know. I really think of it, uh, you know, as an, as an insurance policy, um, that that's a cheap insurance policy when it comes to legal. So, um, absolutely amazing. Thanks for your time on the show. Thanks for coming back round two. And uh, I hope to see you, um, you know, maybe December 13th, I think, at the Christmas party. It's going to be going to be awesome. Kevin King always puts on a great show. Oh, my God. Did you go to his one in uh, Austin for uh, Seller Fest? It was the macabre thing. It was nuts. Did you hear I about didn't. it? I, I had double. I had something conflicting. Um, but I am going to I am speaking at BDSS, like a yeah. uh, shameful plug. And uh, I'm excited that he's got some kind of thing going on in Hawaii, too. So I've just heard. Be, great yeah, things. that's that's BDSS. Yeah, that's the one. We're sponsoring that. I'll be there, too. Yeah, it was in cool. Puerto Rico last year. But yeah, this year it's in in, in uh Hawaii, so it should be a lot of fun. So I look forward to seeing that, seeing you there if you make it. Yes, I'm, I'm hard to yeah, miss uh, here, here in Columbia. <laughs> I'm like one of a kind, but, uh, you know. Hey, uh, Austin, you know, Austin but, you'll be all right, you know. Yeah, Austin will so. be all right. So thanks again for your time. Thanks, Hustlers, for tuning in. Uh, shout out again to our sponsor, FullScale.io. Do you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders? Let FullScale help. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions. Let the platform match you up. The fully vetted, high experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders at FullScale. They specialize in building long-term teams that work on life for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. All hustlers, thank you so much. Have a good one. Thanks, man. Startup Hustles brought to you by FullScale.io. Helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it.